God is indeed wonderful and the word of God is wonderful. So with that in mind, let's pray as we approach scripture together. Gracious God, as we come in this time, we pray that you would move in our hearts, that we might understand your worship and your wisdom more fully. As we come to this time, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you have been with us um, over the summer, you know that we are rolling out our new mission statement. The mission of Cranberry Community United Presbyterian Church is to expand Christ's community through relationship, discipleship, and worship. And we have been exploring those themes this summer. We considered how our relationships within the church and with other churches and with those outside the church um, affect our faith. We um, and form the foundation of our discipleship. And then we considered the disciples are fatter, faithful, available, teachable, and reproducing. Last week, we began to explore the idea of worship, and Pastor James helped us to understand that in worship, we exalt God when we recognize our own position before God that's just like Isaiah's, that we are men and women of unclean lips, and we live among people who are unclean, when we realize that we're so taken with the holiness and awesomeness of God that our hearts can't help but to be humbled. And yet the foundation of our faith is that we've been redeemed by God, forgiven and called and covered with the grace and love of Christ. And so our guilt has been taken away and our sin atoned for, and we've been made clean. And so we exalt God in our worship. The only proper response to that is to exalt God in worship, recognizing our own position and recognizing God's grace so powerfully that it takes our breath away. But where do we go from there? What are we to do once we're on our knees in the presence of God's holiness? Well, the next step is to realize that our worship of God edifies us. It teaches, it instructs, it benefits us morally and spiritually you know, certainly there's an element of cognitive knowledge that is a part of edification and is a part of worship. Part of what we do is we learn the history of who God is and what God's done. But even more than that, we're edified in our worship because our lives are given meaning and direction. Worship grounds us in wisdom. It grounds us in community as we edify one another, as we improve one another, encourage one another. And worship helps us to cultivate hearts of thanksgiving. And so the passage that we're going to read today from Ephesians helps us to discover those things. So let's, uh, let's turn there now. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have a, a smartphone or device that you can look it up on, we'll be reading from each Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be working in verses 15 through 20. So that's Ephesians 5, 15 20. Let's listen to the word of God. Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit 
speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage comes right in the middle of the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He, he spent the first half of the letter laying a theological framework, and now he's moving on to the ethical and the moral instructions. And here, the church is shown the shape and substance of what life should be when it's lived in Christ. And as Christians, as Christ followers, we live a life of love and light and wisdom. Living this way is the only way to bring glory to God. And God's glory shapes our life according to the redeeming work that's been done on our behalf in Jesus. This learning how to live, this shaping of our lives, that's the root of worship. That's what we mean when we say that worship edifies us. It shapes us. It helps us. It, it helps us to learn and grow. Worship grounds us. It instructs us on how to live and how our hearts can be rightly oriented because we are the ones that have been created and called and loved by a holy, holy, holy God. And now our lives have to live up to that. And so I think there are four different ways that worship edifies us according to this passage. Uh, first, worship grounds our lives in meaning and direction. In Christ, we're made new, and we are different from the world around us. We see that all throughout the history of Israel, that God puts rules and things in place so that the people of Israel look different than the world around us. And our worship does that for us, not only by virtue of the fact that we set aside time on Sunday morning or throughout our week to do it, but it, it makes us different than the world around us in how we live this letter to the Ephesians is a call to wake up and to live in the light of King Jesus instead of living in the way that the world around us lives. Our lives as Christians should be different. People should be able to look at us and say, there is something different about her. There's something different about him. Part of that difference is being careful with how we live. Paul uses the phrase, because the days are evil. And in telling us to be careful, Paul is reminding us to be intentional about our lives of faith. Our faith shouldn't just be an afterthought or something that we contain to Sunday morning. It shouldn't be something that we think about only when we have time, because spoiler alert, we're never going to have time. Instead, in worship, we have to be purposeful. We have to be disciplined, because the world around us is difficult and broken and temporary, like I said, Paul said we are living in evil days. And when he was using that phrase, Paul was likely thinking about the end of days, the time when God's plan was, the time between when God's plan was initiated and with the death and resurrection of Jesus and when God's plan will be completed in fullness with Christ's return. And we're still living in that in-between time. We're still here. We still live in this moment knowing the glory of God and knowing what God has done through Jesus, but we still don't completely and fully realize all of the benefits of that. And I don't have to tell you that it's not, uh, it's not hard to see evidence of brokenness and sinfulness all around us. Everything from willing transgressions one against another to 
uncontrollable natural disasters. All around us, people and creation bear the marks of a world that isn't yet as God intended it to be. And so the days are evil and broken as the church continues to live in this present darkness, which is the phrase Paul used earlier in Ephesians to describe the time in which they were living. And so Paul is telling us to be careful, to be thoughtful, to be mindful. There isn't an immediacy to Paul's words that we're living in in evil days. He wasn't trying to indicate that Jesus was going to come back next week. But we still have to be wise and vigilant because as we wait for God to make all things right, we don't know when the kingdom of God will come in fullness. As you know, a lot of people have tried to predict and plan and anticipate, but all of those things have fallen away, and so we still wait and we anticipate and we, we live expectantly and faithfully in the meantime, making the most of every opportunity. And that phrase, make the most of every opportunity, has the sense of making the most of the time we have. The Greek actually indicates the idea of buying more time or um, the idea of the swiftness with which we snap up a bargain and you know how appropriate that that phrase comes up in this week as we saw people waiting outside the church for half an hour or longer to get in, to get the best deals, to, to shop all the deals, you know, we saw people go in with a rush of energy and, you know, no treasure was left unturned, no deal was left behind as items and clothing whisked out the doors. Nothing was wasted. The people that were coming to shop had a mission and they were going to make the most of every second that they were there among all the things we had collected. And that's the attitude that Paul encourages us to have. He encourages our lives of faith to be that same way, not letting any chance to worship or to disciple someone or to build a relationship or expand the kingdom slip away. You know, living wisely isn't a matter of doing what comes naturally. Like I said, we are to look different than how the world lives. The world's way is foolish and contentious. The world's way is hypocritical and backbiting. But we're called to pay attention to how we live and how we spend our time. And in this new awareness, we have an outlook and a way of life that distinguishes us from the world around us. And we're distinguished because of wisdom. The second way worship grounds us is in wisdom. Worship of the living holy God reminds us that living wisely is, isn't a matter of obeying a given set of rules or laws. In fact, the word law is only used once in the entire letter of Ephesians, and that's to inform us how Christ has abolished it and done away with it and, um, and eliminated its commandments and ordinances. Understanding God's holiness in wisdom reminds us that we could never keep the law well enough to be worthy. And instead, worship shows us that wisdom involves learning and living out the will of Christ. Wisdom is different than knowledge. It's not so much an intellectual achievement as it is an attitude towards life. 
To become a Presbyterian pastor, you have to take ordination exams. And part of those exams is that you get a, a little scenario of a real life situation and you have to write how you would respond. And there's a long-standing joke among pastor types that there's the ordination exam answer way to answer the question. And then there's what you would actually do and say if you were presented with that situation. Of course, the answer they want you to write down proves that you know the scriptures, proves that you know the book of order, that you have a good understanding of reformed theology, and that's important. But the idea behind the joke is that just knowing the rules and being able to cite the book of order isn't enough. The correct answer isn't always the best answer. And it's wisdom through the power of the spirit that helps to fill in the gaps and that helps to allow us to see with eyes of grace. It helps us to discern how to live and how to act and how to speak. We see this in Jesus as he rebukes the Pharisees and basically says to them, I know what the law says, and I know that you know what the law says, but the law can't save you. The right answer won't be enough to earn your salvation. Instead, Jesus calls his followers to live and love like he did. Christ is the true wisdom of God in contrast with the foolishness of the world. And wise living is also a part of this already not yet time in which we live. We already share the fullness of Christ. Christ has already been revealed to us, but now we have to learn to live in that as the full people of God in the here and now. God has already begun a work in us, but that work won't be complete until the fullness of time. And so now it's time to take hold of the wisdom of Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, as Paul says, and to understand that wisdom means living our day-to-day -day life according to the will of Christ. And worship helps us to ground us, helps to ground us in this wisdom. It helps to ground us in life in the Holy Spirit, so that we can begin to understand God's will, so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can serve in strength, so that we can adopt the attitudes inspired by the Spirit, attitudes of joy and gratitude and humility and respect. Wisdom describes the response of godly people to trials and to evil and to life's inequities. It's a way of life that responds to the holiness of God by following Jesus' ex example of selfless love and sacrificial service. Wisdom grounds us in the grace and mercy of Christ so that we can extend that same grace and mercy to others. And worship helps to ground us in that wisdom. Worship also helps to ground our lives in community. Once we understand the wisdom that God is trying to impart to us through worship, we also think about our relationship with others who are in worship alongside of us. There's a horizontal and a vertical dimension to our worship all the time. Of course, we praise God on the vertical and we're personally changed and affected by our worship. Our relationship to Christ grows as we encounter the Holy Spirit. But in speaking the Psalms and singing hymns to one another, we encourage and we inspire the community around us on the horizontal level too. And that's why it's important for our worship to be personal, to be something that we take on for ourselves, for us to be growing. But 
It's also important for our worship to be connected to community and done within the body of Christ and people of faith. As we sing and pray and speak and preach, not only do we grow, but others are instructed and edified and strengthened. You know, I hope that you have had an experience of worship where the prayer of someone else gives words to exactly what you've been trying to say to God but haven't been able to formulate. I hope that you've had a song presented that connects with you so deeply that it moves you to praise. In worship, our prayer requests can break our hearts, but they also demonstrate in real ways the ways that God answers prayers, and that gives us courage and hope as we come to God with our own requests. In worship, we get to witness the way that God has moved in the lives of other people. We get to witness the way that God sustains others and cares for others, and that gives us hope for the moments when we are not feeling as connected to God, when we are not feeling as encouraged. When we offer the words, the peace of Christ be with you to one another with the prayer, we do it with the prayer that it'll be true and that the hearts of those that we worship with will find rest and peace in the love of Jesus. In our worship, we encourage one another. We help each other to heal. We share the burdens of one another, weeping with one another and celebrating with one another. Our worship together helps to carry those who are struggling, and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Our worship gives example to those who don't yet know how to worship, that don't yet know of a faith in Christ, or haven't experienced true worship. Our worship is personal, but it grounds us in the community of God together. And then finally, our worship grounds us in thanksgiving. Within the worshiping community, we learn to give thanks. We see all of the things I just mentioned. We see the way God is moving. We see the answered prayers, and we give thanks for that. Paul instructs the Ephesians to always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, giving thanks should be the first act that we offer after recognizing that we are not independent creatures, that we have been created by God and we are dependent on God. That truth should move us to gratitude. We owe allegiance to God having been created, redeemed, and blessed. We should be so moved by God's holiness, love, and grace that we can't help but to worship and give thanks. You know, that Paul says this, that we should give thanks always for everything to, the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to God through the Lord Jesus Christ is pretty remarkable because he was in prison when he wrote this letter. Things were not going well for him. He's not in a good place. He's being detained. He's being persecuted. The things he thought for his life, the way he thought God was telling him to go was being thwarted by the authorities and yet he still gives that command to give thanks. Thanksgiving for everything is a part of what brings glory to God, and it's a part of our purpose as ones who've been created in God's image. Now, of course, the objection to this command is always that there are things that we just do not want to give thanks for. 
No one wants to give God thanks for the fires in Maui with the loss of lives and property and culture and the utter devastation there. No one wants to give thanks for an illness that will steal their loved one away. No one wants to give thanks for the violence or oppression or inequity that we face in everyday life. And there is a lot of debate among scholars about when the Bible uses all or every. Does it really mean all or every? Is it hyperbole? Is it, are there qualifications involved? And grammatists could go back and forth about that all day long. But however we come down, where, however we apply it, we know that whether we thank God for every specific thing or not, the bottom line is that we are to have lives that are grounded in an attitude of thanksgiving. And worship helps us to do that. In all things, we're to live out the awareness that all of life, even the difficult, awful parts, are lived in relationship to God. We see that through the scriptures. We, we see that through the history of Israel. And we see that through the lives of others in the body of Christ. And so we're to give thanks, even when the only thanks we can give is that we believe in a God who will never leave us. And that somehow God will redeem even the awful, painful things, working everything for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Sometimes our only thanks is that sin and brokenness ultimately won't have the final word and that the trials we face will produce in us character, perseverance, and hope for the life to come. Worship reminds us of who God is and who God has always been so that we can face the future with strength and courage, thanking God for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting that the God of the ages continues to be with us now. And so knowing what worship was intended to do to ground us, to make us different, to ground us in wisdom, to ground us in community, to ground us in thanksgiving, now it's our job to figure out how we're supposed to live into that Living lives of worship and wisdom and community and thanksgiving is like learning a skill. It's one where you have to develop muscle memory, that same sort of muscle memory that musicians and athletes and artists use as they practice their techniques and their skills and their pieces over and over and over again. And just like those sports, just like those arts, our lives of faith have to develop over time. We have to repeat them over and over again, personally and in a community of faith. Worship and wisdom that translates into a meaningful way of life has to be cultivated. It has to be grown. It has to be built up. And we have to remind ourselves. Keeping God's wor word means remembering that our life has been made possible by the life of Christ, and that is a gift. And we can't forget that generosity and so in thinking about that, let's turn back now to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And this was also the people of God as they were trying to remember who they were and who they were created to be. So in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, God says to the Israelites, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the, the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, 
so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. In this passage, God is reminding the Israelites not to be distracted, not to be enticed by all that was around them, and not to lose sight of their God. And so they inscribed them on their mezuzahs, on the plaques that were on their door frames, so they saw them every time they left the house and every time they came back. And they used phylacteries in their wardrobes, which were tassels and, and boxes, as a reminder as they got dressed for worship who God was and what God had done for them. As they parented their children, as they lived in community, as they went along the road, they were to have these things of God in their mi minds. And by doing this, the Jewish believers were surrounded and enveloped by the words of their creator. I thought it was interesting that, that each part of, of these reminders covered a part that, that God asked us to devote to him, with the reminders on their foreheads, that was their mind. With the reminders on their arms, that was their strength. Their thoughts were their heart. Their soul was their personality. The doors to their homes were their intimate relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. All of these were covered by the memory of the gift of what God had done for them. And they were a reminder to the person wearing them, but they were also a witness to all who would see them about the God of Israel. You know, in the New Testament, Paul says nearly the same thing. We, don't, we no longer use phylacteries and mezuzahs, but Paul says to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to live lives of worship and thanksgiving and wisdom, we too have to write these things on our hearts as witness to ourselves and to our community, and to the God we serve. In our worship, in our relationships, in our discipling others, we have to continually look to Jesus and the wisdom he offers as a pattern for our own lives. Our lives should so overflow with the clothing of Christ, with devotion to the holy God, with making the most of the time we have, and in thanksgiving, that they're a constant reminder to the people around us. When we do this, our worship edifies us. And when we do this, we strengthen the community. When we do this, Christ's community will expand in us and through us. And that's our mission. That's our call. And so we celebrate this morning that worship edifies us. It grounds us. It helps us to clothe ourselves with Christ. And we do it personally, and we do it in community. Thanks be to God that we've been given such an incredible gift. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you that you welcome us to come in worship and that worship shapes us, that we are formed, that we become more like Christ, that we witness to one another and support one another and love one another through our worship of you. We pray that you would help us to grow in our worship, both individually and as a community of faith called together here in Cranberry Township. We love you, Lord, and praise you, and thank you for, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.